Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Uh, I, I get the privilege to join my wife, Ashley, on the front row and shout on one of our own preachers here at New Grace. And I, I have a burden and a desire to see men and women of God developed and this ministry be a ministry that could facilitate and foster their development and growth and calling and be a launching pad. And then the ones that God doesn't send out, then we just find, the, find their place in the infrastructure and leadership here and allow them to join and partner with what God's doing and this be a part of the big picture for their life. And I'm very thankful for what God's doing in so many. And uh, I'm, I'm excited today to hear from one of our own who has been with us for a few years who got off a Potter's House van while he was in the program some years ago and followed us back to the shopping center to have church with us and has been a part of our worship team and is a big part of our outreach. And we are so thankful and appreciative for what God is doing in the lives of Michael and Crystal McCrone. And we love them. Come on, y'all give a hearty new grace welcome to Michael McCrone. He's going to bring the word today. Help yourself and preach Jesus. Look, he's going to make me start crying before I even get up here. Woo! Are y'all thankful to be here today? Woo! So when I, was, uh, when I was asked to do this, you know, it's funny. Some things that you pray that perhaps maybe you think it will never become a reality. And then when they do, you go, oh, goodness. God was listening. But I... Uh, I'm just so thankful to be here and to be a part of what God's doing in this community. Um, so, you know, when I started thinking about what was I going to preach, I started going through the Gospels. And I see so many encounters that Jesus is coming in front of people and they're asking for a physical need to be met. Whether it's being sick or being blind being deaf, that Jesus is fulfilling a physical need to somebody. But one of my favorite accounts is in Matthew 15. And it says that Jesus and his disciples were near the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus ascends to the top of a mountain and sits there. And the King James says that the multitude brought people who were deaf, blind, lame and maimed and many more, and it says he, that they cast them at Jesus' feet. Now, you'd think he would be there for a few hours healing, but the Bible tells us that he was there for three days healing the sick, healing the blind, for three days fulfilling a physical need that needed to be met. And there Jesus is, and the Bible said that he had compassion on them to do so. You know, so many of us in the church, we come to Christ, maybe even the first time that we even interact with them, with him, with a physical need. 
and we say, God, you know, my back's hurting, or God, I, I just got a bad report from the doctor, and this cancer is eating me up. And you, you come to God with a need that needs to be met. And don't get me wrong, God is a healer. God is all in the business of healing your physical needs. But how many of us in the church today come to God saying, Lord, change my heart? You know, we're always looking to the exterior and what needs to be fixed. But sometimes the thing that we need to present to God is a change on the interior. You know, God again proved his deity so many times through his physical manifestations of healing. That was a way of saying, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And people recognized him. Through that physical need, they did change. But many of us don't come to God and say, Lord, heal my heart. Transform my mind. We come to God with wanting something more and something bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, David said it best in Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any offensive ways in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. That's a big boy prayer. Church, that's a big boy prayer to come to God and say, search me, God. Look for anything that is defiling you, anything that comes against you or stands against you. You know, we are coming to God in such a way that we are looking for healing, but maybe God just wants to heal your heart. Maybe God just wants to do something on the inside of you. We have to remember, a physical healing is only temporary. Church, we're believers, right? This is only temporary, correct? So why are we coming to God looking for a temporary solution when he wants to give us an eternal one? So the account that I came across, God pointed me exactly where I was looking. And it's not about a physical need, but it's something so much more that I learned from and I pray that we can all learn from in this account. So if you have your Bibles... Or if you have your Bible on your phone, or if not, we will have it on the screen. Uh, go to Luke 19 with me. And I'll start at verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus who he was. And could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place and looked up and saw him, he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. I find it so interesting. So many people are quick to point out your spiritual condition, but tend to neglect their own. And it says that Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Lord, behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation... I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation. 
Say that with me, church. This day is salvation. Once more, this day is salvation. Come to this house. For so much as he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you just move in this service, God, that you get me out of the way, God, that you speak through me, that you use me in a manner that is only pleasing and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name. You know, Jesus in verse 9, he makes this stark declaration to a man named Zacchaeus, and he says, this day is salvation. Why does Jesus use that terminology presented here in this passage? Jesus could have said any number of things in response to Zacchaeus' statement of giving half of his goods to the poor and restoring four times the amount that he ever wronged somebody. And here we are seeing Jesus saying, this day is salvation. See, salvation is determined as preservation or protection or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. We say it in the church, you're saved, right? Salvation, saved. See, salvation is a term that we just throw around these days in the church. You know, we throw it around like a hot potato, and we consider 99% of people who sit in the church seats every Sunday as being saved. So why is Jesus making this stark declaration to a man whom he just met telling him that he's been delivered from harm? It's important that we remember that a mere man or woman is not telling Zacchaeus about salvation, but God is. You know, you can approach somebody and you can help lead them maybe to God or help talk them off of a ledge, but at the end of the day, we are not God, and only God can save and rescue the human soul and spirit. So again, a mere man is not declaring salvation to Zacchaeus, but God is. So today, church, I want to preach on this day is dot, dot, dot. If we are to believe in the word of God, then we must begin to acknowledge and agree that God is a man of his word. Jesus used words to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, allow the deaf to hear, and the lame to walk again. The winds and the waves obeyed his very voice and his words, and even the dead were raised to life again by his words. If we take God for his word, then all of creation began with his words. In Genesis 1, God spoke and it was. In the garden, Adam and Eve, an intimate connection and a relationship was formed through trust and obedience by words. By Moses, direction was given and freedom from opposition was birthed and laws were established. Joshua, instructions were given, battles were won, and even the promised land was finally obtained. If we go back to Abraham, with Abraham a covenant was formed and promises were granted by God's word. And through the prophets, truth was proclaimed, kingdoms were built, and consequences ensued. We have to remember that Jesus has always been a man of his word. Amen, church? John tells it perfectly. 
In 1 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we are to believe Jesus in everything that He tells us, we have to acknowledge and agree that He is the Word of God. He is the only salvation that there is, and here He is proclaiming it to a man whom He just met. So Jesus said, This day is. And then I started thinking, Dot, dot, dot. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? What's a dot, dot, dot? So, I mean, thank God I got Siri to tell me everything. So, the dot, dot, dot is an ellipsis. So, if I asked you right now, church, to finish this sentence, this day is, what would you say? Many of us would say this day is good, or many of us would say this day is another day, or perhaps we would even narrow it down, this day is Sunday, or this day is the day before Memorial Day. But if we really get honest, perhaps some of us would say this day is horrible, or or, this day is just uneventful. Or, look, even Derek's not up here preaching. I can't even believe I came to church today. But this day is. And if, if we really want to be honest, and if, we, if you're anything like me, sometimes you just give that gentle lie of okay. Like, this day is okay. But you know what? Your ellipsis, we have to understand, is determined by your past. See, whatever happened on the car ride over here, or maybe something that happened to you earlier at work this week, would end up being your ellipsis. There are anniversaries that occur of perhaps a loved one that died or a situation that caused immense pain to you. And every time you come around to that anniversary, your ellipsis is determined by what happened 10 years ago. How, I mean, how often do we tell people something and we get weighed down by the emotions of something that no longer has a grip on you, no longer has control over you? Our ellipsis is determined by our past. But I thank God that my ellipsis isn't determined by my past. My ellipsis is determined by what God speaks over me. Because what God speaks over me is truth. What God speaks over me is eternal. What God speaks over me is everlasting. I thank God that I don't have to live in my past. I thank God that I don't have to wallow in that misery any longer. God is the God of all ages. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Do you receive his word as truth? That's a hard question. We can't even accept our spouse's word, let alone a God that we've never even met. You know, Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. If he is the way, then his word is directional. If he is truth, His word is unwavering, and if he is the life, his word is everlasting. See, we have to get rid of that temporary solution. Stop looking for the physical needs to be met. God wants to do something on the inside of you today. 
God wants to touch you in a way that you recognize him as being him. You don't have to live in that mess that you lived 10 years ago or five years ago or earlier this week. God calls you to be an overcomer. So today, I say to you, are you accepting his word as truth? See, if we look at Luke 19, we have to remember where we are at in the context of Jesus' ministry. We are three and a half years into his ministry. The Bible says that he is passing through Jericho. He's headed to Jerusalem. See, many people believe that he's continuing his ministry. Some believe he is actually going to take the throne in Jerusalem and reign as the king of Israel. That he is going to set the Jews free from their oppression from the Roman Empire, that he is going to finally come and set them free so they can reign with freedom. But Jesus is headed to a wooden cross. Jesus is headed to a place that he knows that the pain that is set before him that no man on earth has ever bared. If we look at Jesus in this context and we say, Jesus, what would your your ellipsis be? What would he say? So many of us would sit there and our mind would just be torn from everything, knowing that we were about to be nailed to a wooden cross, that our flesh was about to be ripped from our bones, and that we were going to have to endure the penalty that all of us, all of us are worthy of of going through. But Jesus has one thing on his mind. See, he's not worried about himself at this stage. There's still somebody that's lost, that's in need. If we go back to Luke 15, Jesus gives us three parables of something that's lost. The lost coin, the lost son, in the lost sheep. Jesus wasn't fixated on the cross at this time. He was fixated on the one. Luke 15, verse 4 through 7. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. See, I like myself and yourself We have at one time been like Zacchaeus, lost and broken. See, God has always been seeking the one. But we have to be very mindful of the story. Because though God has always been seeking the one, we read of a man that was lost and broken seeking Jesus. See, a relationship is a two-way street, church. God has been searching for us, but if we don't take the steps necessary to pursue him, 
then what are we truly seeking? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. See, God seeks you today. Though you have given your life to him, though you have put your faith and trust into the Lord Jesus Christ, he is still at a place that he constantly seeks after us. Because like so many, we get to a point saying, you know, I, I just want to really just stand here. I don't even feel like doing anything. Or maybe opening up my Bible and praying is just not even worth anything because I'm not seeing God move anyway. And it's really just wasting my time. So, you know, I, I'm just okay being here. And the moment that we make the steps toward Jesus is when Jesus sees us. So there are three things that we can learn from this story. And I want to give these three points and go on from there. And uh, so point number one, your present situation does not determine your eternal destiny. Verse two says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. See, three things right there could have hindered Zacchaeus' pursuit of Jesus. One, his past. Two, his present. And three, his profession. See, Zacchaeus was the chief among the publicans. That's a fancy King James way of saying he was a tax collector. But he was the highest tax collector in the region. We have to understand that tax collectors worked for the Roman Empire, meaning they were the most hated people among the Jews. Those that extorted money from them, those that ripped them off, the very people that shared their flesh and blood were working for an empire that led them into oppression. And then it says, and he was rich. You know, if we go back just to Luke 18, Jesus unfolds everything right before this meeting. First, he gives a parable of the publican and the Pharisee. And this parable says that, the Pharisee and the publican walked into the temple of God to pray. And the Pharisee walks up and he says, God, I just want to thank thee that I'm not like other men are, that I'm not an extortionist or unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I pray all the time, God, and I fast all the time, and I give my tithes. But then Jesus follows that up with the publican. And the Bible says that he walks into the temple and he stands afar off. And he's so full of shame that he can't even lift his eyes to heaven. And the only thing that he can say is, God, have mercy on this sinner. And then Jesus says that those that exalt themselves will be abased. But those that humble themselves will be exalted. See, we live in a culture even today that many of us walk in, we say, at least we're not like these other people. You know, somebody got up, Derek got up, talked about being on the Potter's House van. And I thank God we're at a church that doesn't pass that judgment. But there are a lot of churches that do. Many churches, if we walked in there the way that we walked in, would give us that stank eye. That's true. And just like in this story, let's thank God, just like in this story, that we have to look to what God is looking for in your heart, and it's humility. 
and it's being humble, and it's not being judgmental. And then again, Jesus has this encounter in Luke 18 with a Lord. And the Lord comes up, he says, Jesus, what must I do, good master, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, first of all, why do you call me good? Because ain't none good except God. And I could go off on that, and that's a long other process. But then he says, well, the commandments, honor your father and your mother. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. And the Lord says, well, I've kept all these since my young, since my youth. And Jesus looked at him and he said, but you lack it the one thing. Sell all of your goods and give it to the poor. And then you will be able to follow me. See, so we learn of a publican and we learn of a rich man. And a lot of these stories, the disciples were wondering, well, who can inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So we meet a man here in Luke 19 willing to lay everything down. You know, curiosity was the very thing that directed Zacchaeus to seeking out Jesus. And I can only imagine what Zacchaeus's ellipsis would have been leading up to this very moment. But the thing is, he heard of a man and needed to seek a man. Could this be the Messiah? So what are the present situations in the church that we battle with our past, our present, and our profession? Many of us consider our profession to be our identity. If I asked you, if I took a poll in here who you are, the majority of everybody in here would say what your title was with your daily employment. It's true. What do you, who are you? Well, I do this or I do that. And many of us consider our identity to be our profession. Also, many of us consider our past deeds to be our current identity. Derek brought it up. I went to the potter's house. I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. And for a long time, I had to go to these meetings and sit there in front of people and declare well, my name is Michael, and I'm an alcoholic. And then God jumped up in my lap one day. He said, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, see, you can sit in a room and tell them who you think your past is, but I have changed you. See, the past is gone, and I make all things new. Don't ever allow your past to be your identity. Allow what God speaks over you to be your identity. Also, many of us believe that the wrongs we have committed keep us from ever experiencing God's unconditional love and grace. Even believers, even people within the church, we get so caught up with our past that we get afraid to move forward in our walk with Christ. God will never forgive me of that. He already did. But you don't know what I did. I don't need to. We get lost in the things that we've done, and we think we can never measure up to what God calls us to. Let me, let me remind you. I didn't come into this church perfect. I ain't perfect today. I just got nice pants on today, okay? 
Don't believe the flow bots that you hear over and over in your life. Don't allow the past to be your identity. Don't allow your profession to be your identity. Because we see Zacchaeus here. He is pressed on all sides, hated by his own people. He's a lackey to the Roman Empire. They think of him as dog food. Could you imagine what he experiences within his own community day in and day out? He feels unaccepted, unloved, unworthy. But he hears of a man Where is that pursuit gone within the church? Where is that reality gone within the church? Where we stop believing the lies and we start accepting what God speaks over us as truth. We have to remember where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Don't allow the little mistakes to hinder your pursuit of Jesus. So number two, Your present contentment will keep you from achieving your heavenly influence. What do you mean there? See, many of us are okay being a part of the crowd. Many of us are okay being a part of the press. See, so many people have hurt us in our lives that if we can just stay in the background of Christianity, if we can just stay hidden, you know what? Nobody can hurt me back here. If I put myself out there and put myself into a situation where I can be hurt, I'm leading up to feeling failure once again, and I'm not willing to do that. It's easier to stay hidden than it is to walk out on faith. But we have to remember, when God calls you, he calls you a light, And Jesus tells us that you don't light a candle and put it under the bed. You don't light a candle and put it under a jar. You light a candle and put it on a lampstand for all to see. Church, let your light shine in front of all men so that your Father may be glorified. So just like Zacchaeus, I just wanted to remind you, if we truly chase after Jesus... He will take you places that you've never been before. Like in verse 4. You will find yourself running ahead of some people who are comfortable being a part of the people that are just stagnant. People you know, people you love. If you chase after Jesus, you're going to leave some people behind. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with the contentment? Content is a state of satisfaction. Some people are just okay being back here. Some people are okay with giving their confession to the Lord and seeking their salvation through an easy prayer. But until you put your faith into action and step out on a limb, God will use you the moment that you take that step toward him. And he will begin to acknowledge that step. And he will begin to see you. And look, it's not going to be easy. And sometimes it's not going to be easy leaving the people behind that you, that you love, that you care about. But is it necessary? Is it easy leaving people behind? No. But isn't pursuing Jesus worth everything? So you will find yourself climbing to new heights. Like Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus' pursuit of Jesus led him to a place that he couldn't obtain without pursuing Jesus. The Bible says that he climbed up into a sycamore tree to get a better view of Jesus. If Jesus wasn't there, he wouldn't have climbed. Right? Sometimes when we allow God into our lives, we are going to go to new heights and climb places and see things for how God wants us to see them. And also, you will find yourself immersed and overwhelmed with joy, even in the midst of people bad-mouthing you and attempting to drag you down to their level. I wrote this to tell you. Zacchaeus was tired of his excuses and was willing to make a fool of himself. People will see you climb. People will laugh at you because of your limitations, and people will bring up your past. But if you want Jesus, you will be willing to take on what might be difficult in order to experience what is eternal. Can we give him a hand clap of praise? Thank you, God. Oh, Jesus. I'm so thankful that I'm not where I was. And I'm so thankful that I'm not where I'm going to be. Amen? You know, if we're comfortable with just being where we are at within our faith and people start making steps toward pursuing Christ, we won't only stay where we're at, we'll begin to lose ground. I want people to understand this. If you are not making the effort to get to know Jesus to truly immerse yourself in your Bible and in prayer, people around you will begin to do so, and you will start losing ground. To achieve your heavenly influence, it's going to be uncomfortable. Zacchaeus could have lived the rest of his life hated, but living comfortably on his riches. And I guarantee you, generations after him would have been able to live comfortably as well. But we have to remember, church, that revival is coming to this area. Look, God is moving in this area. There are people that are lost and broken and in hurt and in need, and God is ready to move. But, church, we have to be ready to move toward him. He's calling us to run. He's calling us to new heights. And he's calling us to be seen. So number one was your present situation, your past, your present, and your profession. And number two was your present commitment or contentment, being comfortably hidden in the crowd. And number three, your present position has been predetermined so that you may align with your heavenly purpose. Well, what do you mean by that? See, many of us battle insecurities and many of us think that these limitations that we've been given somehow hinder us in our relationship with God. You know, we, we feel like we've been dealt a bad hand or where was God when I was born or why did this happen to me? But you know what? I bet Zacchaeus had the same questions. See, John 9 is one of my favorite stories. Jesus and his disciples are walking by this blind man. And they walk upon him, and they know that he's been blind since birth. And the disciples ask Jesus, well, Jesus, whose sin is it 
that causes man to be blind since birth? Was it his or his parents? And Jesus says the most beautiful thing. He said, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God may be manifest in him today. Today. I bet that man felt like he was dealt a bad hand for all those years being blind. But here comes Jesus showing up on the scene. And the Bible says that he knelt down, spit in the clay, and put the clay on his eyes, and his eyes were opened. See, the man had been blind because God was going to be glorified in that very moment. Zacchaeus probably prayed the same thing. God, why am I short? Why am I battling these things? I can't see in crowds. I can't do anything in here. I'm just, I'm just made fun of and hated. But then came that April day. Then came that April day where Zacchaeus had to do something in order to see Jesus. So we ask ourselves so often, why am I limited? Verse 4 says, he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree. God fashioned Zacchaeus because he was meant to climb and see Jesus. And God planted that tree centuries before, knowing that Zacchaeus would one day climb it. Perhaps your limitation is the exact thing that God is going to use for your pursuit and glorification of him. We always take the negative side to everything. We always take glass half empty. When God says that very thing that you feel like is limiting you, I'm going to use it for my glory. I'm going to use it so you can get a better view of me. And in that exact moment when we recognize ourselves and say, God, I know I'm limited, but you know what? I know I need to get to you. God, I know I got to see you because I'm dealing with all this pain, all these people coming against me, God. I have nothing else, and I'm putting my faith and trust into you. This day is freedom. <laughs> this day is new. This day is salvation. <laughs> See, we've all been thrown a life preserver. All of us. All of us have been drowning in something in our lives, and God has graciously thrown us a life preserver. Pastor JJ, could you come up and help me close? So we sit in a place in our life, and I know I have, and I, I look to my, my limitations, and I look to my past, and I look to even my profession, and sometimes I go, well, God, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a pastor. Like, that's not my job title. Am, am I even capable of doing things? Because I've been to some places that I never thought I would have a chance at life. But God was so gracious to throw me a life preserver. And I kept going over this account. And I said, God, what, what do you want to tell me out of this? And God spoke to my heart. And he said, I want you to look up a sycamore tree. And I said, God, you want me to look up a sycamore tree? Why? He said, make sure you pull one up from the Middle East, right near Jericho. Do we have that picture? 
See, so often I thought that a sycamore tree was three little wooden branches where Zacchaeus could just run up and hang on the outside of it and just wait for Jesus. But Zacchaeus didn't climb the sycamore tree to be seen. He just wanted to see Jesus. There was, there was nothing within him that said, I'm going up there so Jesus can see me. Because I look at this tree and I can only imagine that he is hidden behind the leaves of shame, hidden behind the leaves of remorse and regret, knowing that he is hated by so many people. And he's up there on the tree and he's like, I just got to see Jesus. I don't know why. I just got to climb up and I got to see Jesus. And we see Jesus coming that way. He said, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at your house. He didn't say, hey, you. He didn't say, guy up in the tree. He called him by name. God is so intentional about his love for you. That he doesn't look at you as an addict or a failure or somebody who is not worthy of redemption. He looks at you and calls you by name. And he says, make haste and come down. Why the rush? Oh, Lord, I ask, why the rush, God? Why? And God led me directly to Galatians 3. This is the divine exchange that we talk about. Paul says, Christ had redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. And it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The rush is because the keys had to come down so Christ could take his position on the tree. I don't think you're hearing me. We're talking less than a week before Jesus had to be nailed to a tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, you are no longer the curse. Don't feel like you are the loser here. I'm about to take your place, Zacchaeus. I'm about to take your place. You got to come down, Zacchaeus, because it's my place up there. I deserve to be up there. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.